All right, welcome back, everybody. This is the Faultline Podcast. My name is Alex Davis, the host, and joining me, as usual, our esteemed editor, Tommy Flanagan. Hello. And sitting on the sofa opposite me, because we are IRL this week, my esteemed colleague, Rafi Cohen. Hello. And this is, of course, accompanying edition number 911. And, um... Yeah, I've I've been staring at spreadsheets too long, Tommy, so I don't know if it was a good week in the video world, but this looks like a pretty good issue. It was a slow start to the week and a, a very fast finish. Um, so yes, it turned out to be a really good issue, actually. But um, before we um, get down to business, and this is going to sound like a sponsored shout out, but it's not at all. I just wanted to say that I'm wearing a really comfortable pair of socks that were sent in the post to me by Bitmovin. So just wanted to say thanks for that. And along with a notepad, because it's been so long without getting freebies that we've forgotten what it felt like. And it was really nice. And if anyone else wants to send us freebies in the post, then uh, head to the website and get our address. And, and yeah, we're, I was fast running out of notepads, so it came at a good time, actually. So anyway, to the issue, we had a, a bit of a security flavor uh, to it this week with two really juicy stories on OTT CDN security and a new encoder watermarking tie-up between um, Atem and VxSorker in France. Uh, and that was kind of kind of spooky because... This being issue 911, and Alex said before we come on that we've got to say 911, not 911. But there is actually a 911 analogy in the Cinemedia story this week that was provided by the director of product management, not me. Um, And it wasn't in poor taste or anything, it was just a a security analogy. But uh, anyway, I want to focus on 3SS, which is a German uh, multi-screen software specialist. And um, I spoke to Kai and Pierre from the executive team this week who were giving me just a sort of general update so we covered loads of ground and and so the re- resultant story is pretty broad and uh hefty and it's a great read so dive in but i'll give you an overview so and, it, and this was actually really timely this call because recently i tuned into a webinar where i heard uh, stefan the cto um talk and he got a, a question from the audience at the end and it's he said something along the lines of well anyone can write JavaScript. You know, it's the world's most popular coding language. Anyone can do it. And I, I thought that is hilarious because it just transported me back far, I think it was five, maybe six years ago to the first time I ever met 3SS. And we sat down, uh, I believe it was IBC, uh, sat down with the executive team. There were a few of them. And one of the first things I, I said was, I, come on, any, anyone can write JavaScript. What's so special about you guys? And they were really defensive. Um, so it was really funny to sit, to hear five years, five and a bit years later to hear the CTO, the company, say exactly the same thing. So obviously it's taken a while for them to accept that it's not about being the best coders in the world. But what's what's really been key to success is the way that 3SS has adapted to problems and, and it's catered for uh, operators' needs and it's created this really flexible product framework. And the partner programs that have been um, created in the five years since then have been really important to, to that growth. And as a result, they were reeling off figures to me like they've been growing at over 30% a year. They're hiring a bunch more people. They're planning an attack on the Americas. They've got uh, a few operator announcements lined up for Q4 and into Q1 next year, including a big one in Canada and another one in Brazil. And um, and so that, that kind of adaptability and flexibility that we're talking about is particularly important right now for the smart TV space. 
um, because the browser-based operating systems like Samsung's Tizen and LG's WebOS are nowhere near as easy to work with than, than something like Android TV or RDK on the set-top. So this is because the uh, the applications are executed in, the, in a browser in browser-based engines, and they're usually WebKit based and, and that means other native apps have less access to resources and that throws up a bunch of challenges compared to working with m way more stable operating systems so there, there's a kind of a big demand and there's lots of challenges that they're working around but the other side of that is that of course a lot of developer, developers really like a challenge so for this reason 3SS has created what it's uh, what's, what's coined as the internal smart tv SWAT team so any real issues related to smart tv projects are posted in this kind of uh, thread chat where 30 or 40 experts can just quickly get to the bottom of pretty much anything. Um, so that's very different to, to how 3SS started out, um, I, I'm told, but it's, it's of course using the, the, the same technical framework still. So um, so they see Tizen and, and WebOS as the two main ones, that, uh, just as, as an example of becoming a lot more stable and long lasting. And that's why smart TV is going to be such an important part of the the next five years um, from the 3SS uh, point of view, um, and that's a, that's a trend which is really helping operators. And, you know, we, it coincides with the announcements from Sky and Comcast um, launching their own smart TVs. I mean, any operator that doesn't launch their kind of apps on on the smart TVs from Samsung and LG or or like Sky and Comcast, their own brands, they'll probably embrace some sort of Android TV um, smart TV system i mean but at the end of the day 3ss's mission is is that uh, you're not going to sell any screens if your apps are not working properly so that's where it's kind of really drilling down we also touched on these sort of miscellaneous areas it's expanded into hospitality it's it's winning a few deals there it's kind of interesting and um also mm, um, something a bit more reserved about is the the automotive entertainment market and they see themselves as being i think they describe themselves as a perfect fit there and I was very ooh, standoffish when they were talking about automotive because obviously everyone wants a slice of that pie, and it's they've been people have been talking about that for years. But they are um, uh, promising that there's going to be two big automotive partners announced at uh, CES, which is in January. But um, again, I'm very wary of that word partner because it's partner doesn't mean customer and that doesn't mean money. So it's all up in the air. But they're making progress there and um yeah that was that's uh, probably a good place to end so yeah that was a that was a great catch-up good stuff 30 percent, pretty impressive but uh yeah I, I reckon some wheels might fall off in the automotive uh sector oh, see what i did there right good stuff tommy thank you very much <laughs> we're gonna move across now to our next piece this comes from rafi and Amazon's IP address ring fencing turns back the clock i'm i'm hoping rafi is this an ipv4 ipv6 blowout I don't know what that is. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. Well, I'll I'll pay attention. I'll learn something. Yeah. <laughs> My initial hunch was off. It's, it's, um, this is a technology podcast. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so it's kind of come to light recently that Amazon's been um, restricting third-party access to IP addresses of its users. Uh, it's been doing this f for a while with uh, its kind of e-commerce, you know, its main its main consumer business. But um, it's just started doing this with its AVOD, or two of its, the main AVOD offerings that it's got, which is um, INDB TV and Twitch. Um, 
And it's not the first big tech giant to be kind of ring fencing its data. Of course, you know, Apple's done similar things uh, with phasing out the IDFA, um, kind of phased out third party access to IP addresses and cookies for mobile users. But um, the fact that Amazon is now doing this with its video offering is kind of problematic uh, in a world where uh, OTT advertising is, and especially, you know, AVOD is touted as a safe haven from the declining status of linear. CTV, you know, everyone's got high hopes. Um, and just as ad tech vendors are kind of pushing to standardize the audience data ecosystem, uh, this kind of laughs in the face of all those pursuits, um, makes Amazon look a bit like an insatiable overlord. Um, and it's now kind of enforcing its own proprietary Amazon advertising ID, uh, which, yeah, kind of throws in the bin all these various different, you know, uh, open, open APs, open ID and stuff like that. Um, IP addresses, you know, they're incre they're becoming increasingly irrelevant, but they are still very important. And um, people, companies, Fortnite I've spoken to earlier this year, such as LiveRamp, have said that it still really is the bread and butter for most CTV advertising. Um, they allow third parties to apply frequency capping. Uh, they allow people to build consumer profiles. Um, and obviously, these capabilities aren't disappearing, but Amazon is just bringing them inside its own ad network. And it means that all these external sources are kind of less able to maneuver around that. Um, and yeah, it says that the main reason it's doing this is due to piracy, but uh, I really struggle to see the link there. And it looks more like it's just trying to get a grip on what is really an impressively ballooning advertising segment. Um, they don't actually break out advertising specifically, but they have this other segment in their annual reporting, which uh, is said to be made up of primarily ad-supported ventures. Um, that was at 7.9 billion last quarter, which is up 87% year on year, up 14% uh, on a quarterly basis, which interestingly puts it neck and neck with uh, prime subscription revenues, which are also at 7.9 billion. So they're basically exactly the same, which is quite an anomaly really for obviously prime, lots of people subscribe to prime just to get your deliveries quickly uh, for supposedly free in quotation marks. But um, it's weird that on any kind of service, you've got the subscription service and that uh, ad supported revenue at very similar revenue levels. Um, and if we look at kind of the AVOD platforms, this is affecting, uh, or it's primarily IMDb, TV, and Twitch for now. Uh, at the new fronts this year, which was in spring, Amazon said they have at least uh, 120 million viewers in their kind of AVOD or ad supported footprint, which was a six fold growth from the year before. Um, at least half of that must be from Twitch because we know they're on currently at least. 30 million daily active users, um, which is at least double for a monthly active user. Um, the next biggest chunk is probably live sports on Prime, which this IP thing doesn't seem to be affecting. I imagine that maybe those advertising are coming, that those adverts are coming from third-party sources or the broadcasters or the sports networks or whatever. Um, but yeah, th there is a case to be made that this kind of secret stash of data maybe isn't so great. As I said, uh, although it is still important for CTV advertising. Uh, people have warned that it's just going to become increasingly irrelevant as piracy, not as piracy ramps up, privacy. It's like it's going to just become increasingly irrelevant as privacy regulations ramp up. Lovely stuff. All right. Thank you very much, Rafi. I'll try not to derail you on your intros in the future. But I mean, yeah, there's a, a lot of ground to cover. So uh, I jumped in at the wrong end. But we'll move on to the next one. Uh, the final long form piece. And uh, this week, um, a little bit of premonition. Uh, so headline, live peer snaffles missed server in decentralized CDN expansion. And this is prescient because hopefully next week, Rethink TV will be putting out 
its forecast on decentralized CDN and uh, LivePeer uh, have previously um, sort of only focused on distributed transcoding. So there's a lot to unpack here, really, but the, the sort of the gist of it is LivePeer got a $20 million Series B funding round and it's got cash to spend. So it looked at a seven-person team in Amsterdam called DDV Tech, uh, which develops a product called MissServer. And MissServer is a, it's a media server, but I mean, that means a lot of different things for a lot of different people, but it's essentially a way to get video into a environment and then export it to where you need it. And you can use MissServer in CDN functions. Uh, so if you have multiple instances of MissServer inside a network, you can use the sort of decentralized distributed technologies to move video in between uh, each of those nodes. And there's uh, it's an open source uh, approach. There's lots of sort of different forks and whatnot. And it, it appears that most people use this as a sort of platform to build additional applications on top of. And the sort of the interesting part is that LivePeer has previously looked at just the transcoding element. And what it does is it uses a uh, Ethereum-based sort of blockchain cryptocurrency angle to essentially incentivize people who have uh, GPUs that are idling. And what it does is it, it pays for you to run its application and the application basically takes a transcoding workload and spreads it out among you know, hundreds, thousands of different uh, GPUs spread around the world. And because of the way that uh, it's, it's set up and paid, it ends up being a lot cheaper than if you were to turn to one of the premier uh, transcoding vendors. So that's that's that play. And what MissServer should bring to the table for LivePeer is the ability to move into the CDN angle. And there's a another buzzword here, um, and, and honestly, the blockchain and cryptocurrency stuff, it's not as weird as it sounds. Most of the transactions are actually done in dollars. Um, it's just a way of kind of easily keeping tabs uh, on, on stuff. But the you, you might have heard of Web 3.0, uh, and there's a, there's a lot to sort of cover there. But broadly, Web 1.0 was on-premises data centers serving up text and then eventually graphics. Web 2.0 has been the shift to centralized cloud environments and platforms powering things and the arrival of video and mobile broadband. But then Web 3.0 should be this kind of much hyped transition to decentralized uh, infrastructure. So instead of a handful of very large vendors, we can split these computing workloads across hundreds, thousands, millions of different um, instances and that has you know cost and latency benefits this lets us do all of those fancy and kind of buzzy uh, edge computing uh, applications and yeah it, it's it's happening but the timeline is it's a long way sort of down the road and i think that's what our report will show and, and we will probably be able to speak about that uh, next week but the the sort of the business angle business concern here for missed server users is that while it was this open source project and uh, it seemed to be fairly well loved. Um, the idea is that the live peer um, sort of service will be brought to the fore and kind of shown off and, and be front of center, you know, front, front and center so that when you're using the media server function and you need to go, right, now I need to send this to a transcoding environment. The idea is that the live peer stuff will be right there and you'll look at it and you go, oh, wow, that's way cheaper than if I was using, you know, X, Y, Z. And while while i think 
I think we trust LivePeer, and we probably trust EDB Tech. I don't know if you trust investors, and at some point some awful accountant is going to start trying to turn the screw. And, I mean, we've seen it happen in, in other projects and things like that. So that's just something to be a bit wary of. Um, we, we've seen it before. We're fairly skeptical. But, yeah, really interesting play, but this is going to take quite a few years to shake out. So, um, yeah, uh, we'll pay attention, of course. And that's it for the long-form stuff. We'll move on to the worth noting section. And as is tradition, Rafi, five years ago today, what was happening? Uh, Sky dropped a bombshell at its uh, quarterly conference announcing plans to launch a mobile network video operator service based on the O2 network, uh, which was run in the UK by Telefonica uh, back in 2016. And this has since been merged with Virgin Media. Um, we thought that with uh, Sky Sports rights franchises, it kind of had the perfect leverage to launch such a service and that this would you know, very quickly expand to uh, the other key markets of Germany and Italy. But the resulting Sky Mobile outfit stayed confined to the UK following its launch in 2017 and it passed the 1 million subscriber mark in 2019. Nice. And of course, Telefonica to now closely tied to Virgin Media cable rival. So, uh, yeah. The more things change, I guess. Tommy, any other highlights? Well, uh, just as we were putting the issue together this afternoon, AT&T results landed for the the, uh, the third quarter. Now, that was supposed to be a, a worth noting, but ended up, because it's important, ended up elevating that to a, a standalone short story. But anyway, the press release was just just... Totally sugar-coated, but I knew something wasn't right. So, um, so yeah, took a took a deep dive into the actual um, 8K filing um, as as we normally do, and it soon became apparent that um, that HBO Max had actually lost two million um, subscribers on home soil in the in the quarter, which is uh, not a good look and doesn't fit the narrative. So yeah, really, really um, uh, tucked that away in the results. So yeah. Yep, who knew that cutting access off from all those third-party channels um, wouldn't go smoothly, eh? Who, who could have advised them <laughs> such a move? Uh, sweet, right, another bit of OTT streaming. This is the final one. Um, just the ongoing Netflix, Dave Chappelle, transphobia issue. It's all pretty ugly. Um, Netflix does not look very good. There's a lot of internal discontent. Uh, but then the more interesting part is it, it appears in the leaked document that got a Netflix employer um, fired, uh, employee fired, they paid about 25-ish million for this latest special, the, the heart of the renewed controversy, uh, and the impact value, which is actually the effective loss um, for, for the project, was $19.4 million. Um, so it's a, a fairly unprofitable hill to die on for Netflix. And with that, we've reached the end of Fault Line 911. And Tommy, do we have anything lined up for 912? Somebody call 911. Yes, we got two uh, interviews lined up next week. Am I still on mute, by the way? No, I'm good. Um, we got Smart DTV. Um, been, been ages since I spoke to those guys, so um, that, that's a sort of um, we're going to have a sort of sustainability um, focused chat because they got some green kind of initiatives and, and, and stuff going on and also having a catch up with Quilt it's been a while since I spoke to them as well but that's come about after um, two weeks ago I think we, we posted the the headline why doesn't Cisco just go ahead and, and buy Quilt so that's triggered that um, call so yeah a few juicy things lined up next week good stuff looking forward to it uh, so 
please head to the website, rethinkresearch.biz. You can check out Faultline there, find a four-week free trial. You'll also find the Rethink TV executive summaries, and as I, I vaguely promised, there should be a new one out next week, so fingers crossed on that front. Uh, please leave a sort of podcast review in whatever service you're looking at. Uh, follow us on social media and whatnot. Send us some juicy tips. Um, have a chat if you fancy it. I'm always interested in a bit of goss. And with that, I think uh, we will see you next week. So that's bye-bye from me. Cheers, all. See ya.